You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. As Gauteng faces a third wave of COVID infections that is starting to resemble a tsunami, the slow pace of the country's vaccine rollout is brought into sharp and deadly relief. A major component of the slow rollout hinges on vaccine access. And when HIV emerged 40 years ago, life-saving antiretrovirals were developed, but more than a decade passed before the world's poor got access. COVAX was created almost a year ago to avoid the same thing happening again. And uh, although COVAX has distributed uh, millions of doses of vaccines to uh, over 115 countries and economies, vaccine nationalism, vaccine diplomacy and severe supply constraints have so far prevented COVAX from realising its full potential. Our global manufacturing capacity and supply chains uh, haven't been sufficient to deliver vaccines quickly and equitably where they are needed most. More funding is clearly needed, uh, but that's only part of the solution. Money doesn't help if there are no vaccines to buy. And we need to dramatically scale up the number of vaccines being produced. Now, the World Health Organization and its COVAX partners are working with a South African consortium comprising BioVac, uh, AfriGen, Biologics and Vaccines, uh, a network of universities and the Africa Center for Disease Control and Prevention to establish its first COVID mRNA vaccine technology transfer hub here in the country. To find out more, I'm joined by Dr. Martin Frieda, coordinator of the initiative for the vaccine research at the World Health Organization and the lead of the long-term sustainable manufacturing workstream of COVAX and uh, the Manufacturing Task Force, Dr. Morena uh, Makwana, BioVax CEO, and Dr. Stavros Nikolaou, who's head of the Health Working Group for Business for South Africa. So welcome, gents. Uh, Dr. Frieda, production seems to be the pinch point in global vaccination drives and waiving IP rights will speed up vaccination globally. So surely that's not uh, unreasonable considering the scale of the pandemic. Okay, well, that's an interesting statement um, because let's look, at, let's look at the IP situation in South Africa for the moment. So as of today, we cannot identify any pieces of intellectual property I insist today that would prevent manufacture of any COVID vaccine in South Africa. This doesn't mean that there won't be IP tomorrow. So IP, I must say, is not the key barrier here. It is know-how that is the key barrier. And waiving IP will help ensure that there's freedom in the future, but it will not by itself ensure that there is manufacturing done. So know-how is really what uh, tech transfer hubs are, are all about. Uh, and Dr. Frieda, when it comes to the fundamentals of tech transfer, how do these hubs in practice work before we talk exactly about the mRNA hub that you're establishing here in South Africa? Okay, well, we've, we've built a couple of hubs before. Um, in 2005, there was an influenza scare. We thought there was going to be an H5N1 pandemic and a lot of countries, including South Africa at the time said, it's not fair, you, the North, the West, you've got these vaccines, we don't have the vaccines, we want the technology. Now, it doesn't make much sense to send experts, the same experts, all around the world trying to transfer their know-how to multiple manufacturers. What makes a lot more sense is to bring the experts to a single site, what we call a hub, and the know-how is set up in one place. And then manufacturers from around the world can come to that one place. And this is what we're doing now with BioVac in South Africa, setting up know-how in one place. Uh, Dr. Uh, Makwana, what is BioVac's role going to be within this particular partnership, establishing this hub here in South Africa? Uh, yes, thank you. So I think it's important that for any successful hub, that there has to be the line of sight towards commercial manufacture, uh, not only for the country, but also for exports. So we also have a company called Afrigen, 
which is also part of the consortium that will be the recipient, the first recipient of this technology once all the details are, are worked out. Now, that uh, the technology will be transferred from Afrigen to Biovac because Biovac already has established capability in terms of commercial manufacturing. So it's important that there is a, an entity that receives the technology, okay, and refines it and, you know, and sharpens it and takes it to us clinical trials. But you do need to have a commercial entity that has the know-how to further expand uh, and take it within a much larger good manufacturing practice and also has the capability to export. So that is how the model will work. We'll be working with WHO as the coordinator and then uh, Afrigen and BioVac will be the main entities on the ground, but also there will be universities that also have some know-how that will also be giving input into uh, into this hub. Where are the gaps, uh, Dr. Makawana, that you see at the moment in terms of the technology transfer? Because we do have capable scientists, world-leading scientists uh, in many fields uh, that have made major contributions in the global fight against this pernicious uh, pathogen. Where do you see the gaps? I think the main gap, I mean, so I think what South Africa has done over the past 10, 15 years is to establish uh, the latter part of the manufacturing value chain, you know, around the formulation and the filling, which is a blending of the vaccine and the filling. I think that has, at least, at least we have that as a country. What the country lacks is really the upstream side, you know, what is called active pharmaceutical ingredient manufacture or otherwise referred to as drug substance manufacture. Now, a lot of the, you know, some of the IP lies within that that companies don't want to share. Um, and so it's important that we establish that as a country. You know, if people are not willing to share that with us, I think we do need the likes of WHO to help us and enable us to be able to have that. And that is a critical part that the country uh, does not have, which is the API manufacturing capability across not only mRNA, but also across other platforms as well. So on that point, just to stay with you for a second, a lot to, uh, longer, Dr. Makwana, it does sound that there are IP constraints to consider here. Well, uh, let's put it this way. You know, if if you get a, a piece of paper on, on IP, the question is, can you convert that into, you know, into something real? You may, but it may take you longer. So you do need somebody to hold your hand and say, you know, I am willing to give you not only a piece of paper, but I'll show you how to actually manufacture the API. Mm. So you do need somebody that has been there, done that, or a, a team of experts at least that can show you, no, this is a shortcut. This is how you can uh, streamline. This is how you can upscale. Mm. None of that is written in any of the IP papers. Stavros, uh, to put it very simplistically, what I'm hearing is that uh, it's, it's not useful just giving over the recipe to uh, create this vaccine. One also needs to uh, be taught um, how to uh, create certain ingredients that are used inside uh, that recipe. And that really is where uh, a lot of the technology transfer and the know-how comes from. Uh, Michael, you're quite right. So let me just preface my answer by pointing out one statistic. If there was any doubt that the best way to get ahead of this pandemic is to develop regional capacity and capability, let's just look at the numbers. 2.35 billion people have been vaccinated with at least one COVID vaccine dose globally, and less than 0.2, I repeat, 0.2% of that has found its way into African arms, uh, so jabs in African arms. So let me answer your question directly now. So I've just responded to why we need these regional capacities. It's the only way we'll get ahead of the pandemic. RP is just one step in ensuring that uh, regional capacity. 
the the other steps as uh, Morena has indicated and Martin to some extent is is the technology the know-how the skills transfer so all of these things if we to get ahead of the pandemic turn it from a pandemic into an epidemic as I was saying earlier we need to ensure that you get the transfer of know-how skills transfer the hand-holding exercise that Morena indicated earlier. Then you will get on top of regional capacities, and regional capacities are critical to the entire world achieving uh, an epidemic status rather than a pandemic as it is at the moment, which is uncontrollable. Absolutely, and why it does require a coordinated response. COVAX really, uh, Dr. Frieda, was a response to that a year ago. So we didn't have a repeat of what we saw uh, with the HIV pandemic. Uh, a year on, I think the big question in Africa is why we have that statistic that uh, Stavros referred to. Out of 2.3 billion uh, jabs in arms uh, only, uh, or, or vaccines, uh, only 0.2% in Africa. What are the key constraints? What are the key challenges from a WHO perspective that you're looking to solve for now? Well, I'd like to, I think Sarah's absolutely right. We need regional health security. Now there's 55 countries in, in Africa. It wouldn't make sense for all 55 countries to become vaccine manufacturers. This would not be sustainable because they would not be able to export to their neighbors. What we need are a few manufacturers in Africa, a limited number, two, three, perhaps, maybe four. And these are to serve the African continent not only for in the event of outbreaks, but also with the routine vaccines to ensure that they are sustainable. So we really need to be focusing on regional health security by having regional capacity. And South Africa has a key role to play in this for Sub-Saharan Africa. Why was South Africa chosen? Can you just elaborate uh, on that process uh, and why you chose to set up here in South Africa as the regional hub? Okay, why was South Africa chosen? Well, the, the process that we, we, we used to identify the first hub was that we issued a call for expression of interest. So all manufacturers or all entities around the world that wanted to become a hub to host this training center, this knowledge transfer center, were invited to apply. And there were two fairly good proposals from African countries. Um, South Africa was the better of the two, and South Africa was chosen, therefore, to be the first hub. Um, they are likely to be um, one or more other hubs put up in the future, but certainly um, South Africa was chosen as the first hub, and we hope to have the technology established in the African Biovac Consortium as soon as possible. I was going to ask about timelines. Uh, what What is as soon as possible? I know very difficult uh, when we're talking about a, a, a pandemic that is evolving at the rate that it is, but time is of the essence. We're currently experiencing a third wave here in, uh, in Gauteng. What sort of timelines are you looking at? Okay, this depends very much on who else we can bring in as a partner. Now, we at WHO, we don't have our own manufacturing facilities, so we are relying now on other groups now to bring technology to South Africa. And we've got a, numerous groups have approached us. This was also part of the expression of interest. And they said, well, we would like to share our know-how. Now, in this, we've got some groups whose technology is pretty upstream. That means uh, they've maybe tested it in mice, hamsters, and maybe a couple of monkeys. But we don't yet know that it works in people. And others, they have got more advanced technology. It's been tested in people, maybe possibly even this efficacy data. 
So it depends which one of them finally will sign the deal to actually share their know-how with, with Afrigen and with BioVac to enable South Africa, first of all, to make vaccines and then for Afrigen to share that know-how with other manufacturers, firstly in Africa and then elsewhere in the world. So it could be anywhere between 12 months if it's a really, if it's somebody's really got a, a vaccine that's demonstrated efficacy, or it could be two to three years if it is some somebody whose technology has not yet gone into the clinic. The delay is because of the need to conduct the clinical studies. Uh, and as uh, we saw with the development of uh, the vaccines last year, uh, I mean, it broke all kinds of uh, records in getting a vaccine through phase three trials in, in under 12 months. Uh, Africa would really have to break new ground here. Dr. Makwana, uh, what, is, what is your anticipation in terms of timelines before we see Africa's first uh, locally developed vaccine for COVID-19? Yes, so I think, um, I mean, um, I think Martin has described uh, the limitations, which will be the clinical trial portion. I think we are very fortunate that from an infrastructure perspective, that South Africa and including BioVac, which I represent, has some infrastructure that can absorb the technology sooner rather than later. So we don't necessarily have to go and build uh, new facilities whilst we need much larger capacity, but we can utilize what already exists so we can you know, quite quickly absorb the technology from an infrastructure perspective. But we do have to follow the regulatory process, which is very important, you know. And uh, and we know, you know, vaccines uh, have to, all pharmaceuticals have to go through the clinical trial phase. There are products that have even failed in clinical trials. So that process is important. And unfortunately, that process has its own timelines that, uh, you know, uh, WHO, Afrigen, or Biovac do not have necessarily uh, any control over. But as soon as a product is ready, you know, it's very, very quickly to, um, you know, assuming the regulatory process goes through, it's very easy within six to 12 months to, you know, uh, to, to get it going. And uh, I, I suppose the, the other thing is that we have waves of COVID. Uh, if you want to be testing this on, uh, on a population that is currently experiencing the pandemic, and it certainly looks at our slow pace of vaccination rollout here in South Africa and elsewhere on the continent, that, that will be a precondition for this. Stavros, what do you see as uh, potential challenges uh, to uh, getting Africa's first COVID vaccine rolled out uh, as quickly as possible? Michael, firstly, I think we need to be realistic around both the, the capability and the resources that reside on the continent. So I think what we do need is to get ahead of the game on the continent, we, we need two things in my opinion. I think it's beyond dispute that the world needs regional capacities. That's the only way you're going to get ahead of this pandemic and turn it into a more manageable epidemic, as I keep saying. The two things, in my view, are the following. Firstly, we need a flow of of technology, know-how, and skills. And it's uh, it's in nobody's interest that only parts of the world gets vaccinated and other parts don't, because you'll just see this continuous stream of, of variants um, manifesting. And then those variants inevitably find their way into the vaccinated part of the world. And then you're almost starting all over again, right? So technology, know-how, and skills transfer, very important first step. The second thing that needs to be addressed urgently is, is if we are to set up these regional hubs, regional capabilities and capacities, there has to be a reconfiguration of the current global procurement cycles for vaccines 
and also the procurement dynamics. So if you set up these facilities, we can't have them turning into white elephants in 12 months' time because there's no volume throughput. Any facility, whether it's a pharmaceutical or a vaccine facility, requires volume throughputs. The current global procurement dynamics are not conducive to procurement out of Africa. They, they sent or concentrated largely out of, out of India, China, and parts of Europe. So we do need a reconfiguration of that. Those are the two most immediate things we need to address. If we don't address those two things with mm -hmm. equal panache and equal emphasis, then I'm afraid the, the dream of local and domestic capacities will remain just that, a, a dream. So I would be turning my attention to those two aspects with utmost urgency. I think uh, huge kudos, uh, uh, Dr. Makwana, to BioVac and to all of the consortium members that South Africa was seen as uh, the country to host uh, this first tech transfer hub. But uh, Dr. Frieda, to come back to the issues that uh, Stavros raised around ensuring that those hubs don't become white elephants in the future, what are your thoughts on how we might uh, reconfigure the global procurement cycles to ensure that there is throughput through these, uh, these uh, facilities in 12 to 18 to two years time? Well, first of all, what he said is absolutely correct. You know, it's very easy for us to build white elephants. We call it build and bust. This has happened in the past. We build facilities that are not sustainable. And after a few years, the government says, why are we continuing to support this? The facility collapses. The next pandemic comes around and we start all over again. So we really need to change the market shaping dynamics around this. Now, unfortunately, South Africa is a I'm going to say it's a, a mid-sized country. The internal market is inadequate to support a large manufacturing facility. And if you build a small manufacturing facility, the cost of goods coming out is greater or higher than the cost of the same goods coming out of India or Korea or China. So this now creates a huge problem. This means that either the government must be prepared to be procuring at a higher price, that's, that's doable for a short period of time, but over a long period of time, successive governments might not like this. So we need to work out how can a country like South Africa export to their neighbors. Unfortunately, many of the neighbors north of South Africa, they receive subsidized vaccines that are procured via the Gabi UNICEF mechanism in Copenhagen. So we will need to work with this procurement mechanism to ensure that we're able to procure African vaccines for Africa. If we are not able to establish such a procurement mechanism, we will have to find, and this is one option, a way to make vaccines cheaper. And it is possible, just possible, we don't know for certainty, that these new technologies such as mRNA might enable us to make vaccines more cheaply and also vaccines that we don't currently have, TB, malaria, and maybe even HIV. So what we hope is that in the long run, these mRNA technology manufacturing facilities might contribute to TB and to malaria, both very important diseases in the southern part of Africa, and possibly also for HIV, of course, of great interest mm. to the southern African region. So we definitely need to address the market shaping.
And uh, obviously that uh, will then issue, uh, well, address issues around uh, volume throughput and the economies of scale if these facilities are now manufacturing uh, drugs that uh, really are meant to uh, target those big epidemics in Africa of TB, malaria and uh, potentially HIV. I think in the immediate term though, uh, and Dr. Frieda, if you look at where Africa is currently, it's all about getting access to vaccines. I mean, it'll be great if we could get an African-made vaccine in 12 months' time probably highly unlikely. Uh, what we need is vaccine access right now. And uh, I know the COVAX Manufacturing Task Force was recently created. What are its aims and goals to try and help Africa get access to vaccines as quickly as possible? Okay, well, the task force has got really, there's three, three arms of the task force. The first is actually quite well, very important. It is to break down the upstream bottlenecks. Uh, you, I don't know if you've heard that it, there was a period when the vaccine supply was being hampered by the supply of glass vials. There were insufficient glass vials for these manufacturers to be working at full speed. Then it turned to plastic bags, not your plastic shopping bags, but the plastic bags that we use for, for, fermenta for fermentation. There were insufficient of these or they were being um, hoarded by certain companies. So we, the first part of this task force was to break down these bottlenecks and ensure that manufacturing could happen at full speed. And the second part was to make sure that bottlenecks at manufacturers, such as filling lines, we had manufacturers that had excess bulk, so they had more vaccine than they could fill. Well, vaccine that's sitting in a thousand liter container doesn't serve anybody any purpose. It has to be in vaccine vials. So they've been looking for partnerships to set up uh, groups, uh, manufacturers that have more bulk than they can fill with manufacturers that have more filling lines than they can use. So this has over a period of quite a short period of three months, four months that we've been in operation, already had a significant impact in the number of doses that are coming off the production lines. And hopefully in the uh, near future, this will ramp up exponentially. Stavros, to come to that issue now, uh, and uh, as we face this third wave crunch in Gauteng and potentially in the rest of the country, if, uh, if other provinces don't heed the warnings that are flashing here in Gauteng, we need access to vaccines and more vaccines as, as quickly as possible. What is being done currently to ramp up uh, that access? So, Michael, I, th I think firstly, the South African rollout program is, is based on three phases. Phase one was vaccinating the healthcare workers. Phase two is the phase that we're in presently. And phase two would have covered your 60 pluses, as we call them there, the 5.4 million 60 pluses. And it is true that we are lagging behind with respect to, to phase two. Uh, as at yesterday, we had completed um, at least one dose being administered to around 2.35, quarter 2.4 million people. So we are lagging behind the curve. We've had a number of setbacks, uh, which I think are well recorded, not worth going through on this call, I don't think. And then phase three would have been moving into uh, your, um, sorry, phase two B, I should call it, would have been moving into your 40 pluses, that number around 11 and a half million citizens. So we are getting to market with all of this. Quarter three, which is the quarter July to the end of September, is the critical quarter for South Africa. If we can get to a position where we vaccinate all, everyone that is 40 and above by the end of September, which is possible, provided two things happen, we would have broken the back of the pandemic. Uh, but now what needs to happen, and directly to your question, 
So we need two things. First of all, we need a sustainable supply of product and we have two options, J&J and Pfizer, during quarter three. Um, both companies have committed sufficient doses, but we need to see in reality that there will be timeless and linear delivery of these vaccines from both companies. And then secondly, we require the private sector and the public sector to scale up to between 250 to 300,000 vaccinations a day on a sustainable basis, five and a half days a week. Um, in order to, if we get those two elements right, Michael, we can get to vaccinating the majority, if not all of our 40 and above by the end of September, we'll be in a completely different environment then. I think a lot of the pressure will ease off and the mood will lift in the country. But those are the two things we mm. need to, to get right in order mm. to achieve that. And kind of in my mind, that's where I've recalibrated our target or goals to be. Vaccinate 40 pluses by the end of September. Which uh, is sadly still uh, after the peak, uh, the projected and modelled peak of the third wave. We wouldn't have been able to avoid that. But at least uh, if we achieve those two things, as you point out, uh, the reliable linear supply from Pfizer and J&J and uh, ramping up our vaccination programme to 250 to 300,000 a day, then we can do that by the end of September. Just as a last word, Dr. Makwana, are you seeing increased hesitancy uh, in your interactions or, or uh, through the phase one and phase two uh, vaccination programs so far? Because I am hearing anecdotal reports of uh, vaccines just sitting, waiting for over 60s to come and get shots in arms, but uh, they're, they're not going for them. Well, thanks, Michael. And I'm um, sure, as you know, Biovac is also involved in the distribution uh, of both the Pfizer and the J&J products. So as soon as the product comes through, we turn it around as soon as uh, we are allowed to. As you know, there's some testing that needs to happen locally by the, by the National Control Laboratory. And as soon as that clearance is there, uh, we certainly turn it around and make sure that within 24 hours that the vaccines get to where they need to be. We have heard stories of some facilities not being having adequate people. And I'm not sure whether that's a sign of, um, of hesitation or is it a sign of maybe the communication not getting to where it needs to go to? Understanding that also until we get consistent levels of stock coming through, you know, sometimes within communities, people know that, okay, there's a vaccination today, but maybe it's not there two days later. And with that, you find that by the time it gets there, then, you know, people are not uh, at the clinic. So I think once the supply becomes much more bitted down and much more consistent, uh, I think only then can we start talking about hesitation. Obviously, there's a lot of things in the media, but I don't think that mm. um, any of the gaps that we're seeing now is because of hesitation. It's probably just because of a supply chain and just an execution in an uh, uh, issue on the ground. Thank you very much, Dr. Morena Makwana, CEO on BioVac, who is joined around the table by Dr. Martin Frieda, coordinator of the Initiative for Vaccine Research at the World Health Organization and the lead of the Long-Term Sustainable Manufacturing Workstream and the COVAX Manufacturing uh, Task Force, and uh, Dr. Stavros Nikolaou, who is head of uh, the Health Working Group for Business for South Africa, talking about the establishment of uh, Africa's first mRNA tech transfer hub and uh, the latest on South Africa's vaccine rollout.